students who were on our campus three or four years ago who are coming back this fall, what are we doing differently for them? We're so used to being an open access institution where, oh yeah, students come back, we're happy, right? But then we gotta figure out what supports are we providing? The technology is different, right? You might have new buildings on your campus, they might not know where the classrooms are at because it's all different. So how do you re-engage those students into your campus? How many times do you, you see administrators walk by a student of color and don't say a word? We have to create the sense of belonging where students know who we are and what we've been doing. And they know that it's possible. I am a living testament of it. I had a 1.9 GPA in the ninth grade. 1.9. 1.9 GPA. And I'm a college president now. Black learner success. What is it? And are we really doing enough to ensure that it's thriving at our institutions? Dr. Keith Curry, president and CEO of Compton College, analyzes the community college's role in reaching a dwindling black student population and shares some of the strategies he's implemented through his leadership positions. So thank you all for tuning into another episode of ACCT's In The Know podcast. I'm Kaylee Woods, and today I am honored to be joined by a very special guest. Um, this person was one of the brilliant minds behind the Men of Color Symposium that took place during the 2022 ACCT Leadership Congress in New York City. We got such great feedback from that symposium, which was created to help our members tackle a longstanding issue in higher education, which is the enrollment and retention of Black students, particularly Black males in our institutions. So we are here today to go a little bit deeper into some of the topics that were touched on, as well as strategize some ways to reverse some of the trends that we're seeing. So at this point, I'm just going to let you have the floor. Why don't you go ahead and tell us who you are and what you do? I get the opportunity to tell you who I am and what I do. My name is Keith Curry, President and CEO of Compton College located in the beautiful city of Compton, California. I've been serving in this role as the CEO for the district since 2011 and the president CEO since 2017, June 7, 2017, uh, when we became uh, accredited as accredited college. Uh, so I'm excited to be here, not only to talk about my experience, but also to talk about the work that I'm currently doing as it relates to black learner uh, success. So I'm excited about being here today and being able to talk to you about my own experiences and also be able to talk to you about Black Learner success and being unapologetic about it. I love that. And we are happy to have you here today. Um, I know you, you've mentioned Black Learner success and you are affiliated with an organization that is basically focused on increasing Black Learner success in higher education. Um, I believe the organization is called Level Up. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about that organization? So uh, just to give you some history and some, some context behind this work, uh, last uh, fall, uh, I, was, I was approached uh, by HCM Strategist, uh, Educational Council, and also Achieving a Dream and with support from Lumina Foundation regards to uh, Black Learner uh, success or Black Learner excellence. And it started based off a conversation from a research report that was uh, that was being worked on by the Lumina Foundation. And I was approached by being involved in the expert advisory panel to really dig deep deeper into the data regards to the enrollment decline for uh, black, black learner success, for black learners. Um, from there, I was a chair of the uh, expert advisory council that included 
individuals, well-respected individuals in the community college field uh, who are former presidents or were advisors, work with different groups. I was able to learn more from that group as a chair about what are we seeing. And, and it wasn't just about the enrollment decline, but it was also about, okay, but once the students do come to our campuses, what happens to our students? Right. What are happening to black learners? And so I was I was really intrigued by being a part of the expert advisory council. Uh, council. And then I was asked to be the national chair for the, the level up work and the call to action, which has been really it's been really interesting that I'm able to have conversations nationally about black learner success. And but also building upon my previous work. And what I mean by building upon my previous work, I look back at my experience when I was in college working on programs. I went to UC Santa Cruz for undergraduate. But working on programs to support black students while as an undergraduate, 19 years old. Then seeing my experience working at the University of California, Irvine, uh, just working as it relates to uh, recruiting and uh, African-American students and Latinx students from the Compton community and with the interest of going to the University of California campus. And then working at Compton College with being able to really focus our institution on the student populations that have not, they're not being served. And one of the things that we found out based off our data was that the black students and also males of color were not fully supported. And I'm not saying we, it, that we weren't there, it's just that we could do more for those students. So then it leads to the level up work. So it starts from Keith Curry as an activist in college advocating for black students and black student success to a young professional at UC Irvine advocating to being a practitioner work, then become a college president as a practitioner at a higher level who could be able to impact this work from a budget standpoint, where budgets are your statements of values, being able to provide funding to support black and middle color success. And now with the level up work, it's more so look at the policy. So I've started as an activist to a practitioner, to a practitioner responsible for budgets, to a practitioner who's working on policy as relates to black learner success. So I'm able to see this from a different lens. So it's just like a culmination of my personal and professional career being a part of this work. That seems like a full circle moment, a little bit. Full, full circle. <laughs> we love that evolution. Uh, just to give the audience a little bit of background, um, for those who don't know, I served in several recruitment and DEI positions prior to becoming a part of the ACT family. Um, in 2019, I served as an African-American outreach ambassador for the College of Southern Nevada in Las Vegas. And that outreach ambassador position was created to address some of the things that you're talking about. Um, seeing that downturn in Black student enrollment, and not only enrollment, but also retention, and trying to figure out a way to, I guess, understand why we're not able to keep the students that we're bringing in. Um, and this is a problem that we see nationwide. So I'm curious to know, in the studies that you all have conducted through Level Up, what would you say are some of the biggest causes for the decline in Black student enrollment? I look at it from a couple ways. Uh, I think you have to look at economics, right? We have many Black students come from low-income households. The cost of education, right, is an obstacle. You have high tuition. You have textbook fees, you have other associated fees for going to college. And you also have the basic needs pieces, addressing transportation, housing, and food for our students and their own responsibilities. Uh, you have also lack of college preparation and readiness, and that some students are just not prepared. 
uh, you have inadequate support systems uh, at our colleges uh, that support some black students. So it's not just about the enrollment and the bare students have there, but it's also about the retention pieces and how we support those students as well. But I look at those as some of the barriers. But what I, what I would add to this is that at Compton College, every student gets a meal per day. Wow. Right? And also the employees. I bring that up because when you start to think about the basic needs, how do you support all students, and particularly black students and males, you got to start addressing their basic needs. So if food is an obstacle, you're making sure that food is available for students. We don't charge for printing on our campus. We don't charge for parking on our campus, right? But really start looking at what are some of those financial barriers where students will have to make a choice, right? And so, and what I mean by make a choice is either I'm going to take care of this bill that you're asking me to pay or I'm going to pay for food and stuff at my house. We have to stop. We have to start looking at this work differently where we can limit the students' choices as it relates to economics and say, why are we making some of these charges? Why do we charge for printing, right, on campus? Great question. I just, I just, it just, to me, it just bothers me that our students are being charged for printing. But, but just really looking at the barriers that impact Black learners' success, look at the economics, look at the lack of college readiness preparation for our students, look at the inadequate support systems, look at basic needs, and really just look at those as some of those barriers, but work with our campus communities, but also work with our policymakers to figure out what are some of our short-term solutions and also our long-term solutions. And to me, this is what gets me excited about the work uh, now, because I can see that we're making a difference uh, as it relates to uh, some of these barriers, but it's still a long way to go. Yeah, and I know that um, people existing outside of that kind of black student community may not understand um, the level of barriers that some of our students are facing in school. Yes, basic needs are important for all types of students, but it's also important to look at, you know, if certain populations are experiencing certain things, like, for example, a lot of black students, as I was working in student services, were caretakers for their parents or for their their children. And so these are different needs that not necessarily, you know, the traditional college student is expected to have to fulfill. Um, and so addressing that, I think, is extremely important and like really paying attention to what our students are going through, actually getting a chance to talk to them versus just creating, you know, initiatives and everything without actually getting that student incentive. You know, I'm glad you, you brought that up uh, in this conversation. I think when I, when I look at um, how, the how to do this work, right? Um, and you also look at the how, especially in California, we have Prop 209 and now with the, the recent U.S. Supreme Court decision, is how are you working around, uh, are you working with the new dynamics of ways to affirmative action? And I think what's important as we work on, work on do this work, particularly around black students and black learner excellence, is really looking at how do you collect your data? And are you looking at your data disaggregated by race? And have looked at it from a racial equity lens. And, and I bring that up based off your com your comments, because for me, I, w I like to provide it to everyone. But then at the same time, I'm going to look at the data disaggregating to say, okay, now we're providing this service where we're seeing black students are male of color are not taking advantage of these services. What's going on? How can we provide more attention to that group? Because it's offered to everyone and really being more intentional with that. And so for me at Compton College, one of the things that we did was we hired a director of black and male of color success. 
and really having someone identify to do this work, but working within a guided pathway structure to support students uh, as a black students as it relates to their goals and moving forward. And it, it help, it's helpful as you look at these barriers. So we, we can talk about the barriers. We talk about the data being disaggregated by race, but then we also got to talk about, okay, how do we attack the work and how do we make sure things are getting done? And, it, and for me, it's about having a person responsible for the work that you're trying to do as ways to black and male of color students, but then also figuring out ways to engage other individuals and in your campus community in that work. And so one of the things that we, we're doing at Compton College this year is really looking at how we're engaging our black and male of color initiative into the guided pathways division structure so that students based off their areas of interest, they're able to receive that support who are black students. Right. But really going to those students and just making sure that they know about all the services, all the programs and services that are being that are being offered at our institution. But it's important as we continue this work, we continue to have these types of conversations, apply what colleges are doing, uh, actually share what colleges are doing with other colleges and organizations so people can see some of the best practices, identifying individuals who are your leads to be able to do this work, look at the data from a racial equity lens where you're looking at data and you're disaggregated by race and you're having uncomfortable conversations about what we're not doing to be able to have a plan about what we should do. Absolutely. The uncomfortable conversations, I know race isn't something that's easy to talk about, particularly in a country where we are a melting pot. And as much as we want to say, you know, we're all Americans and, and yeah, go, go team. <laughs> There's also this element of, yes, we are all Americans, but we all, due to our cultural backgrounds, we experience different things in this country. And so really getting a chance to look at that data and see what different populations are experiencing and then addressing the issue from that lens versus just, you know, blindly creating something I think is extremely important. And also this is a very crazy time in U.S. history, if we're being honest, um, this generation of college students has probably had to deal with more stress than any generation before it. We just came, I'm not even going to say came out of because we're still in a global pandemic. Um, so you have the traditional pressures of trying to figure out, you know, what you want to do with your life, um, preparing for your midterm and final exams, balancing work and school. But for the most part, I don't think any of us, you know, prior to, I would say, 2019 have had to deal with this kind of thing looming over our heads when it came to going to college. So how do you think that pressure has affected Black students in schools? Let me take a step back. I will start first that the pressure not only affected Black students, but I think it's affected Black faculty, Black staff, Black administrators Absolutely. as well. I think the pressure that we have right now regards to, one, you have the enrollment decline, of black students, you bring that that brings pressure, right? Because enrollment, funding, and changing communities, higher education. So you, you wanted that. You also have the um, you have the Rome decline. You also have the COVID nineteen pandemic, and you now you have the value of education being questioned by individuals. So people are curious, like, why should I go to college, and what is that benefit of me going to college? And then you're starting to have people say, if I do go to college. So what is was that? What is how is that going to help me and benefit my family right now, right? And so it's a lot of pressure. However, this is an unprecedented time where innovation has been allowed even more because of COVID, 
And so how can we be even more uh, unapologetic regards to innovation as it relates to Black learner success? But also being able to have these types of conversations with other individuals because we're all dealing with the same issues at the same time, right? That's unprecedented. So I can call a president in New York or a president in Chicago and have a conversation about COVID, black student enrollment decline, retention, faculty staff issues. We're all dealing with similar issues right now. So we're able to learn from each other. So this is an opportunity. And so when I look at this opportunity, I look at the opportunity to be able to talk to individuals about this, um, what's happening, but also to be able to think about innovation and think about, okay, this is a new area that we could try some new things in support of our students. So it's exciting as well. I don't want to lose sight of the students in these possibilities, right? Because we can talk about all the other things, but at the end of the day, is that student that's going into that transfer level math class, is that student going to complete that class within that first, within their first year? And will that student have all the supports that are needed in order for them to be successful? And will that student transfer within two years? And once that student transfer, will they go transfer to a four-year college or university that's going to make sure that student graduates? And is there a smooth transition? Those are things we should be asking ourselves as we go through this process of what does the student experience look like for black students at your campus? And after they leave your campus, what does that experience look like? Because at the end of the day, when you start talking about the value of education, it goes back to that experience that students are having. I've been black my whole life, <laughs> right? And I'm unapologetically who I am. I am Keith Curry, right? That's, that's who I am. But I've been me my whole life. I talk to individuals about higher education and, and what we do in higher education. But if we don't continue to do those types of things, if people don't believe in us and they talk to other individuals about their experience, then we're going to have even more troubles in the future. So I always think about that student experience and make sure that's a good experience because when they talk to their brother, their sister, their neighbor, their cousins, when they talk to everyone within their sphere of influence about higher education, you want them to make sure they need something positive because if it's negative, all those individuals that that person talked to are not going to your institution or they might not even choose to go into higher education. It really is a community effort. Like, I think one of the biggest problems that we have at our higher education institutions is that a lot of the time we'll make efforts to enroll our students, but we don't follow up with them. And so they get into, you know, this new environment. Some students have had no, ex you know, college experience and no one in their family has had any college experience. And then to be here in the space and you don't feel comfortable being able to talk to any of the staff or the faculty or anyone to help you when you are sitting here drowning <laughs> is a major, um, I, I think that's where we're missing the mark. How about you? What would you say community colleges, where, where's the area that we could improve most? One is we have to focus in on the total cost of, of, the, of, of education at our institutions and ensuring students know what the total cost of education is upfront, but then also make sure that we're providing the, the funding to support that. The second thing is making sure we have the academic supports for those students. So students know where those supports are provided and those are effective supports. So they have the writing tutors, math tutors, they have all those supports to ensure that they're successful. Make sure they have the counseling services. Make sure students are able to receive 
counseling services during their first year at a community college, preferably their first semester, but make sure they have an educational plan and they're following that plan. And they know what that plan looks like when they're at a four at a at Compton College or a community college, but when they transfer as well. So they can be able to see what that what their course they would take when they're at a four-year college or university. I think I think that's very helpful for our students as we move forward. And the final thing is providing the basic needs support for our students, ensuring that they have all the basic needs services provided to them. And they don't have to fill out an application to say how poor they are. We need that. <laughs> they don't have to fill out an application how poor they are. What really bothers me is that we have many institutions, students, just, they fill out an application for support. And it might be multiple applications at one institution for some type of support. And all those applications, they continue to ask for what is your income or what is your family income? So if someone has to continue to say, I'm, I don't, my family does not make a certain amount, some people, they're, they're, they're embarrassed. They don't, they don't want to do that over and over again, right? And so how do we provide these services to students? Well, they don't have to say that. So when my students go to, when the students that come to college go to the cafeteria, all they do is show their ID. You show your ID, there's no application, it's programmed in, we can disaggregate it by race. Done. They don't do anything else. That's easy. But making sure those basic needs services are provided to all students, I think is very important. That's really amazing. Because I know working in student services in the past, like applications can be a huge barrier in and of themselves. People, especially when you're asking for like income information and things that people don't traditionally know about their own household. Honestly, like I've seen so many students start an application and get frustrated or flustered by it to the point where they're like, I don't really need this. You know what? Forget it. And it's really such a shame because when we do have resources, we want to be able to make sure they actually get to the people that they need to get to. So that's amazing to see that. Yeah. And one of these, my, the, the staff at Common, it was, this wasn't me, the staff, the, the, the staff did this. They created a um, application for all specialized programs. So it's one application. So that means when students fill out that application to be a part of a certain program, the program is able, the data comes in, and then the information goes out to the programs, then the programs follow up. So the students are to fill out multiple applications to be a part of specialized programs. It's just one application. And that too, that's been helpful as well. Competent colleges, our enrollment, we're up by 50% compared to last year at this time. Wow. Yeah, 50% compared to last year at this time. But but it, to me, it's a testament to the work that we've been doing on our campus. And I, I just to add to that is one of these that I'm really excited about is our the base needs work at Compton. But we have a farmer's market and the students get $20 per week. And I bring this up uh, because I think it's important to, to how you connect with your students. I had a conversation with a student at the farmer's market. He was one of our baseball players, a male, a Latinx student. But it was just having a conversation. And I was just asking a conversation about just shopping at a farmer's market, right? As a college president, that never happened to me until this past year. Having a conversation with a student at a farmer's market about buying groceries and buying healthy food. Right. So we are providing students $20 per week to be able to buy healthy food. Right. To be able to experience the farmer's market. So it's the holistic approach. And we have to do that uh, within our education. Actually, we have to double down our effort because a lot of colleges are doing this work. But how you double down the effort to do it for more students. But students know that these services are being provided. But then also being smart with your budget because budgets are statements of values is that once funding is gone from like the Federal American Rescue Plan dollars or once your local state dollar or your state dollars or your local dollars are gone, how do you continue to provide those services? Because that means you have to start prioritizing what's important. 
to me, what's important is make sure that our students' basic needs are being met. And then if they're being met, then we can start to infuse some of our academic support to those students because I don't have to worry about the students worry about a meal or worry about housing, right? So really looking at that. And, it, and that's been helpful in my national work as it relates to black uh, learner success because I'm able to apply what we're doing at Compton to the work nationally and also to talk about to policymakers, right? I think it's important for policymakers to know and understand of how you can do this right. And the way you can do this right, especially we talk about black uh, black learners, is the flexibility, right? It's always important to have flexibility as a college president to be able to be flexible with funds, to be able to use funds in different for different ways. And I think flexibility is important. Uh, I also think uh, the double down appeal is important, right? The more money we put in our students' pocket, I think the, the better off they're going to be successful in the classroom. So we have to support them. So I, I just think the, the 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 work we're doing at Compton around basic needs has been helpful, but then also these conversations nationally as well. And you did mention policy towards the end of what you were saying. So this is an interesting time right now in the country. This summer, we witnessed some very interesting decisions on the legislative front, many of which might affect our community colleges. Um, In Florida, we have Governor DeSantis who signed a bill banning public colleges from using federal funding for DEI programming. For anyone unfamiliar with the term DEI, that is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, And a few other states are beginning to draft similar legislation. So I'm curious um, what kind of impact you think this could potentially have on black students, faculty, and staff. I think it's going to have a major impact on black students, faculty, and staff. Um, I I, I feel that a lot of um, what's happening right now in our country is divisive. Uh, I think we're divided as a a country, which is unfortunate. I think most people have the same goals of seeing uh, our country move forward and because it, for the economy, right? We'll have more learners in jobs or high functioning jobs where they can be able to contribute to society, not only their intellect, but also financially. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting time, but I also look at it as a, um, a good opportunity as well to really think differently, to double down our efforts. Um, and I go back to when I was in college, uh, 1995, 1996, uh, showing my age a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but I, I go back to that because I started a program in college called Destination Education for Admitted African-American Students at UC Santa Cruz. I was 19 years old. And that was in response to uh, Proposition 209, which was the End of Affirmative Action in California, and also SB1, SB2, which had to do with the... Uh, the University of California policy on admissions and also of hiring of contractors. And I bring that up because that's what I was, I was raised as an activist in those policies. And so now as a practitioner and as a, a, a an individual who's leading national work as it relates to uh, community college transformation and also as it relates to black learner excellence, I'm able to look at that experience and say, I went through this as 19 year old. And I not had the foundation or the understanding that I do now. So now I could be even more innovative and I didn't have the relationships that I do now as well, right? And so I think now we could be able to bring people together to be able to have some of these unapologetic conversations about black learner excellence in this environment with the U.S. Supreme Court decision and figuring out ways of how we continue to support our students. So it is a hard, it's a hard time right now. 
but also it's a it's a good opportunity for us to really think differently, to really expand the work that we're doing as it relates to black learner success, but then also to be able to have these 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 uncomfortable conversations about what we could be doing because the data doesn't lie, right? So if you look at the data, the data, the, regardless of the decision that was made, but since 2011, you have seen a decline, 29% decline in African-American enrollment. That's not, that's facts, <laughs> right? So if we continue to have conversations that are factual, regards to the data and staying focused on the data and really have a conversation about the black student enrollment decline, but then also about how we support those students when they're at our institutions. And then we talk about the jobs that these individuals are getting once they graduate from our institutions and how we're able to continue to support them. Let's start having those kind of conversations because at the end of the day, it goes back to the economy, right? We want to see more African-Americans included in the conversation as it relates to the wealth gap. So let's talk about economics. Okay, right? get into it. Let's, let's talk about, but at the end of the day, that's what it's about, right? We want to change, we want to transform communities and you transform communities as it relates to education and economics. And so we want to make sure that we're preparing our students and our particular our black students to be able to contribute in society and also to close the wealth gap. So let's talk about that, <laughs> right? But the, the numbers don't lie, right? And so we can talk about policies but let's go back to the numbers and let's talk back to the data. And we can have a conversation about the data, not only nationally, but also individual states, but then at college campuses, we're having a conversation about the data. And then we're at the college campuses, we're figuring out what is our plan to really address how we're supporting our black students, how we're recruiting our black students to assure that those black students are successful and they're actually able to transfer and then get jobs, making livable wages, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just say this way. Can you buy a home in your community that you that you grew up in, right? Can you buy a home in the, the community that you went to college in, right? We want to be able to say, yes, they can. That's the ultimate goal. And just kind of looping back to some of the decisions we're seeing in like Florida and Texas when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion programming. Um, yes, we expect this to affect Black learners, but I think it's also interesting because it's potentially going to affect how professors are allowed to teach in that when it comes to culturally responsive pedagogy, um, incorporating cultural um, history into classes, um, that may no longer be an option for, you know, depending on what state you are working in. So I'm wondering, I did have a chance to read the Level Up report that was put out, and that was one of the key points of that report. So I'm curious why culturally um, responsive pedagogy is important um, in community colleges? It's, it's, it's one of the recommendations, right? Uh, I, I, wrote, I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago in regards to um, when I was in college, I wanted instructors who look like me. And I wrote it because I was thinking a lot about my own college experience and who did I connect to, right? I learned a lot while I was in college from males of color who were older than me at the institution and they served as mentors. But I did not have that faculty member connection that I really wanted, right? I had a couple of faculty members that I could connect to, but I wanted someone who looked like me uh, as a faculty member. But culturally relevant teaching is, is critical because students want to connect 
to their own, where, where they're from, right? And they want to connect and they want to know their history because by knowing your history, you can be also be able to change the future because you don't have to go back and be like, oh, this happened before. I didn't know that because you didn't have the opportunity to learn about it. And I think it's important that we provide those opportunities for cultural development teaching, but also we provide the faculty with the opportunity to do their jobs, right? Because I think once you start to politicize education and you start to have these types of conversations, then we're starting to diminish what's happening in the classroom. And we're also diminishing the, that faculty expertise. So as we look at cultural relevant teaching, as we move forward, for me, what's important is providing that opportunity for our students to learn about themselves and also about their culture, but also giving the faculty members that opportunity to do their job, right? And, uh, and not make it a politicized conversation. And so I'm not involved in what books as a college president, I'm not involved in what books are selected by a faculty member to teach. The faculty member has that right to be able to utilize the book based off their course outline of record. That's not a administrative decision. But when you start to politicize that, then that, that takes away from that faculty expertise as it relates to teaching students within the community that we serve. And that's critical as we move forward. And that's why that was one of the recommendations in the Level Up Report, because we know that in order for our students to connect to that educational experience, they got to connect to their own selves. If they're not learning about their own selves and their history and their culture, how do you expect them to learn? They got they know where they came from, right? They got to know themselves. And I think from a student perspective as well, it's a lot easier to grasp concepts when you're seeing things that happen in your community in the actual, like, books <laughs> so so you know what's interesting about this and you got now you got me going on this one a little bit was that when i was in college i took i took a mini classes uh i was an american studies major uh shout outs to ann ann lane she was my uh advisor at uc santa cruz and the reason why i gave her a shout out for that was because i was reading stuff i was reading audrey lord in in college right i was reading about environmental racism in college and she allowed me to utilize the reading and connect it back to like Compton or like connected back to, to, to music. Uh, I, I, and I brought this up because I was looking at my, um, I was looking at some papers this past weekend and of, from college and I was writing a lot about Tupac. And I was like, why was I writing so much about Tupac, right? <laughs> I was like, well, what was going on here, right? But because that was like, that was a part of what I was, like I was listening to and, you know, we connect, I was connecting to it, right? So I was able to connect Tupac to different types of reading when I was taking classes, right? But it was a way for me to learn those concepts was how do I apply it to stuff that I like and I enjoy. But Ann Lane, she gave me that opportunity to be able to do that. When I look back at that experience now, she was able to do her job. She was able to do her job and she was able to turn a light on in Keith Curry as a 19-year-old where I was able to feel, I was able to be unapologetic and talk about stuff and write about things that interest me. And that's why culture relevant teaching is important. That's why it's important to allow faculty to be able to do their job within the classroom. That's why it's important that we do not politicize education and really focus in on the issues and utilize data to help us focus. And we love those professors that really take the time to get to know their students, where they're from, um, what they're into, because ultimately that makes for a better classroom experience. So definitely. 
switching gears a little bit here, during my work as an African-American outreach ambassador, um, I worked with a committee of black faculty and staff to implement a cohort program that we called the Black Male Movement or B2M. And we definitely, you know, had a little bit of red tape that we ran into on the legal front as we were trying to, you know, basically say that this is a program designed for black students or black men. And we were told to change the language a little bit to transfer that into men of color or something a little bit more broad that makes other students feel a little bit more welcome. Um, and while it was a great program, had a lot of promise, we had a lot of really great perks for the students in that program, there did come a point where our non-Black students in the program started to outnumber the Black students in the program, which kind of felt like it was defeating the purpose a little bit. Um, so I guess my question for you is when it comes to multicultural student programming versus Black student programming, do you think that they can equally be as effective when you're trying to target a specific group's enrollment? So I go back and forth on this one. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I can be, just be frank with you on this, is that as a leader, I, I have to think things through, right? So I'm always thinking, 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 thinking. And so I go back and forth on some things. I'm, just, I'm always trying to figure, evolve. You read something, you try to evolve and figure it out. So one of these that I look at, I look is the, the the major question is is it a cohort program that you're looking to do or is it a whole school transformation that you're trying to do? Mm. And I, I try to separate the two. Um, there's a lot of cohort programs to support particular groups of students, right? And you're always hoping with those cohort programs to make sure you can't, you know, especially with the recent affirmative action decision and in California Prop 209, there's certain types of ways you can recruit individuals for programs and it has to be open to everyone. Um, and so, and I get that. And I, and I totally understand the cohort programs. My concern with cohort programs is that if I have 30, 60 black students who are in that program and they're receiving all those supports and those students are going and they're, and they're successful, they're doing well. I still got another 1500 who are not in any of those programs, but are not doing well. And I'm not paying any attention to them because the pro the students are in that 60 student program. And so I had that concern. And then on the whole school, is how do you transform your whole school to be focused in on uh, student completion and success, but then also being able to look at the data and disaggregate the data to say, hey, this one group or one population is not doing well. How do we do targeted work to help support those students, but but ensuring that everyone's able to participate in that as well? I'm more so on the part of the transformation side, right? And so if I got 1,500 students who are looking at that, who are not being served, I got 60 students who are being served in a particular cohort program. How do I get the 1,560 all on the same page? Where it's not just that 60 student program that has one director and a couple staff members, and that's what they got. How do you apply it to everyone? Because the problem that I see with some of these cohort programs, and I'm not saying I'm against them, is that when there's funding uh, decreases, you start to look at, okay, who's getting cut? And you start to look at, oh, this program does 60 students. I don't know if we can continue to afford it because it's 60 students. So how can you apply that cohort program concept and what they're doing to a whole school model, right? And so I look at guided pathways work and I look at how you're able to provide guided pathway support to the whole student body and really looking at how you provide services to students, not only on the way they enter, but also how they transition 
what I mean by transition, complete your degree or certificate and transition to a four-year college university or to a job with livable wages, how are you able to do that for all students through Guided Pathways? And so my mind has been on that part of the work. It's taking that cohort model and how do you expand it to be able to service all students and really being strategic about that, but also making sure that you provide that professional development to the faculty and staff who are working in these different guided pathways divisions of how they can support black learners. So then they're a part of the work too. So it's just not that one person who is a director is responsible for every single black student, the 50, 1,560 as an example, but they're actually working with other individuals where more people are doing the work, where it's more sustainable. And I'm really glad you mentioned that because one of the, the problems that we faced when I was working at CSN is that we had a very tight knit group of black faculty who were always you know, on their mark, always going at it, trying to put forth initiatives to help our black students out. But it was really interesting to see that the same black staff and faculty were being tapped on for every initiative at the school to the point where people started feeling like, okay, I'm getting a little burnt out having to be the face of every initiative that we put forward. So do you have any tips to combat that? Actually, you know, what's interesting about that is, is, is called the black tax, right? And so uh, we had, and in California, we, we started a couple of years ago called Black Student Success Week, which is the last week of April, where we focus in on black learners. And we have a, a every day there's a webinar at 12 o'clock that we're talking about black learner success. And we're and we having a conversation about that. Um, and it was what I found the first year we had black faculty speak and it, and they were the last day. And um, it was really fascinating. Um, and it changed my perspective a lot. Uh, and, I'm, and, I, and it's not a negative change, right? It wasn't negative or positive. It was just gave me a different view. And the fact we were talking about the black text of how they're always asking to do this, go above and beyond, do that. And it, it's always they're asked to do stuff. And it's the same people who are doing the work but at the same time, they're getting burnt out. And so that's why I look at this whole school transformation as important to me is because it's like, how do we get more people involved in this work in support of black learner success where you're not asking the same black faculty or the same black classified professional or the same director or manager overseeing the program to provide that support where we're all talking about this. Right, we can have a conversation about transfer and transfer level math with the faculty about, hey, this is the data regards to black students. What's happening? What can we do differently within the classroom? What type of supports can we do? Right, but but having those types of conversations based off the data about what can we do differently in support, but it's a whole school model, and those are, and I think this is, and it's a good thing. It's a it's a good conversation to have. But the faculty, the black faculty, are the ones who change my perception of this whole thing, right? And just just amount of work that they're doing at some of their at our colleges in support of black students and how do we support them as well. So it's not just about supporting the students, how do we support the faculty and staff? What does it look like to be able to provide mental health counseling for faculty and also for staff about what's happened? Like there's so much that's happened the last 3 to 5 years, how do we also support our employees? During this as, during this time as well, but you're you're right. But I learned from the, the black faculty, and I and I listened, right? And it, it was it was it was the it was the best hour for me, um, just to listen to what they're experiencing. Um, and I'm and I'm glad I did it, and I'm and I'm really glad that um, the faculty who serve 
on the Black Student Success uh, Planning Committee, uh, they they just they they brought it up. They brought it up. They put everything together, and it was it, it was mind blowing, right? It was mind blowing. But now, how do you continue to have these conversations and uplift it? It's by doing this type of podcast, right? It's having the and they let people know this is what we have seen, and it, it could be out there. People have some of these conversations on their campuses about what they're doing, not only for their black students, but also what you're doing for your your black employees as well. Because the black students, if they see a black employee who is not uh, who is tired because they're doing so much, who's trying to, who's, who's pushing, pushing and pushing. They're going to be like, they're trying to, they feel sorry for that person. Right. And they want to make sure that that person's okay. So we have to make sure that everybody's okay in this work that we're doing. Absolutely. And one of the reasons why black staff and faculty are so important is because when we're talking about creating a sense of belonging for black learners, having representation in your school is vital. It's interesting to see some institutions have, you know, these cohort programs that you spoke of, but they don't necessarily have like the black staff and the black faculty there to be representative um, in those programs. And that might be because of a staffing issue or whatever. They might be working with what they have. But I, I want to emphasize the mentorship piece within that, creating a sense of belonging. Can you talk a little bit about that? No, I, I think that when you start looking at the holistic approach for community colleges and the support, it, it, it goes into the sense of belonging uh, where students feel like they belong at, at that campus. Uh, when I was in college, I, I go back to, I didn't feel like I belong until my second year because I was interacting with more people who looked like me, right? And it, it felt more like I, I became more comfortable because I had a I, I had a community there, right? I you know every class I had somebody that I knew, so it, I had a community that I was a part of, and it included my my black community. And so I just think that you want to create a sense of belonging for our students, where students feel like they belong at our institutions. But we have to be the ones to say, you know what? How do we create that sense of belonging? And so one of the things that I've been really thinking a lot about is the whole student experience and the sense of belonging as relates to the services students receive. And how do you incentivize those types of services on campus? Uh, and some people might say, oh, Dr. Curry, why do we have to incentivize somebody goes to academic tutoring? Because maybe if they go to academic tutoring, they might not be going to work that day, right? So they might be losing out on a paycheck to go to academic tutoring, mm. right? So they, they have to make a decision regards to what they which one is more important. And sometimes that decision is not going to be, I'm going to academic support, <laughs> Right. So they have to be able, you have to, be, sometimes you have to incentivize some of these things, right? And so I've been looking at what colleges have been doing uh, throughout the country regards to how you incentivize some of these services. Um, and we have, to, we have to be able to create a sense of belonging where students are able to go to, to receive these services in different departments. They know who the people are. So when they come to your campus, do, how many times do you, you see administrators walk by a student of color and don't say a word, right? Absolutely. Not a word at all, Right. So when you want to talk about creating a sense of belonging, it's not just about showing them about the services on campus that's being provided and they can check in and receive those services and you incentivize it. But also too, we're saying hello to the student, right? We're having a conversation. Hey, did you get your classes? Hey, do you need any support services? You know, the bookstore's right there to go purchase your books. Oh, you go to student services building, they got support there for you. How do we create that sense of belonging? For me, when I look at that, especially when we talk about black learners, the key for me is maintenance and operation. 
My maintenance operations department at Compton College, they see students, more students than anybody, right? So we started doing training for them regards to student success. Hey, make sure, when somebody walk by, you say hello, but also ask them that they do a financial aid application, right? We have some of our maintenance operations staff who are part of our street team who are going to churches to tell students about applying to our college. Wow. Exactly. And I have one of them, uh, shouts out Judd Walker. Uh, Judd, like, I can go to an event. I can make it. Judd, he, he, he saw me a couple weeks ago. I was like, Dr. Curry, I took care of it. I know you weren't going to be able to make it. You were in a flight. But I was there. I did everything for the college. I was on. He's a maintenance worker. And he's want to make sure that I know that everything was taken care of because he's a part of the recruitment. But that's a sense of belonging where the faculty staff feel like they belong to the organization and they value the organization. That's reflected in their conversation with students. So we have to be able to do that. But we also have to be able to talk to students and have conversation with students. And why is this important, especially with black learners? I'll give you an example. I chaired an accreditation visit to San Quentin State Prison in California to, for their college to be accredited, right? And I never forget having conversations with this one black individual at this institution who basically was like, Dr. Curry, you listen to the same music that I listen to, and you're a college president. I said, yeah. <laughs> right? The whole time he was thinking about, like, you from my community, you made it, and you were able to do mm -hmm. this. I guarantee you that this person continued to think about Dr. Curry. He's from my community. Now he's college president within my community. Representation matters, right? So, yes, about creating a sense of belonging. And it's important that we have administrators and faculty who look like us who can be able to articulate their own experience to our students so students know that it's possible. I am a living testament of it. I had a 1.9 GPA in the ninth grade. 1.9. 1.9 GPA. And I'm a college president now. That's a testimony. <laughs> so, so, so we have to create the sense of belonging where students know who we are and what we've been through. And they know that it's possible, right? It's po These barriers that we have are barriers. But when I was in college, I seen bigger barriers than this, right? Because I'm able, as a college CEO, I'm able to move some of these barriers. But I seen some barriers. I was told as a freshman that I would not graduate from UC Santa Cruz because I don't write well enough. A faculty member said that to me. Wow. Right? Did I? What I do? I just kept working at it. I wasn't going to give up because I didn't want to go back home to my mom and say I, I couldn't do it. So my pride was on the line. But I'm able to tell students that, like, you, your struggle is my struggle. But then when they know that struggle, then they're able to connect with you in a different way. So I have students who email me or get to me through uh, social media when they're going to have problems that they're for your college university just because we had a connection. Like, Dr. Curry, I'm in trouble. I need help. Do you know somebody? Right? And I'm like, yeah, I know somebody, so I'm trying to help, right? But that's because we create that sense of belonging. As a college president, I have to be able to connect with the students. But we all have to connect with the students. We all have to. But we all, number one, we can change is just say hello. Say hi. Ask the student what their name is. What's your major, mm -hmm. right? We, we, we're happy to have students on our campus when we start talking about revenue. When you start talking about success and how the student experience is going on, like the revenue conversation is kind of is there, but it's not as there. It's, it's, it's there, and it overshadows the personal conversation. And let's start having that personal conversation about what we can do to support our students 
other than looking at it from a financial lens. I always say the connection can't be shallow. Mm-hmm. You should genuinely want to get to know some of the students, what their goals and aspirations are, what they're trying to do with their life. And that just saying hello in the hallway, getting to know somebody's name can really change a student's entire perspective of their trajectory. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, just because they know you. Exactly. <laughs> and the fact that you had a student who had already graduated following up with you and still connecting with you after that, it's like you were a, you were a monumental part of their life for them to think back on that. And I also think it's the institution too, right? Because I they contact me because being a president of the institution, but it also goes back to that caring that they had in the classroom or that caring they had when they met with a counselor where they felt comfortable to know that the people at this institution care about me mm-hmm. and they loved me. And I'm going to reach out to the president because I know they care and they're going to try to figure something out. If they can't help me, then I don't know what I'm going to do. But this is my last, this is who I know I can go to for help. And we we have to be that way. But it, it's that you have to create that culture. I know that we talk a lot about, you know, black student recruitment, retention, and obviously we want to be more proactive than reactive. So garnering that sense of belonging and making sure our students have adequate resources, providing that critical mentorship that we just spoke about. Um, all of those are kind of our first line of defense when it comes to um, trying to combat, stop out. But sometimes you can put all your effort into a student or into a program or whatever you have going on at the institution, but there are always a few students that seem to slip through the cracks. Yeah, no, I, I think that there, there will be students that slip through the cracks. And that's why I, I'm really focused on the whole school transformation and really looking at racial equity, uh, really looking at everything from racial equity lens and looking at how do we um, fix systems, policies and structures in support of student success, but particularly black student success. Right. But really looking at it, we're, we're creating systems and structures where no one is left behind. Right. Because I think our current system and structures are, are they're so open, right? Where students are being left behind. And let me give you an example of this, right? Just simple stuff, right? The first one, I look at when you talk about system structures, I, I was dealing with was just looking at how students do graduation petitions, right? What does that process look like to do a graduation petition? Uh, how does that look? Uh, looking at what does the process look like to change a major, right? If a student has to change their major, what do they do? At Compton, they change the major, they go to Mission Records Office, fill out the paperwork, you meet with your counselor, then the Mission Records Office does the process. But if you meet with your counselor and you want to get it changed right then, the counselor says, no, I can't do that. I don't have access. Let me go to Mission Records. So then I can go downstairs, get the support, this and the other. So think about that from a racial equity perspective, right? If you're a counselor um, and our counselors are counselors of color, um, you're telling the student, like, I don't have access because I'm not trusted to do this, right? Because they weren't allowed to have access to the screen because that wasn't their level of security, right? But the student is suffering, right? Because they got to do all this extra step just to change a major. And so we changed that process. And the reason why we changed the process, I was so stuck on one thing in this process. Not only like two things. One was the student and the amount of runaround the student has to do in that process. But then from a racial equity perspective, I have a counselor who has the qualifications to be a counselor. All you do is go on the screen and change the major. All you do is set up a process for that to be done. And then the students have to change the major done on the spot. 
So we change that process, right? Which is, which addresses racial equity, but it also addresses the students' needs. We then have to go through another loop. So really looking at some of these processes on our campuses and having those criti- those those important conversations about how we can fix things in support of students. And that's how we're going to be able to, to address racial equity, but really fixing the systems, policies, and structures of our organizations in support of students. That's where the real work is at right now for me, because those are things that are those are things that are going to be good the next 20, 25 years. When a student does decide that, you know, they need to take a break from school, do you think that the community college should be still providing some type of reach out to them to try and win them back? Uh, oh, yeah, all day. I, I think you, you want to be, we have a call center at our campus that we're calling students all the time, right? You want to you continue to try to engage them. Uh, one recommendation I will put out there is like really looking at your enrollment process, how you um, target students for enrollment to your campus, but then also your retention of when students stop out and how you follow back up with students who are stopping out, what type of services you provide to students who are stop out, how do you re-engage them in the campus community, but then once they come back to your campus, the, the re-engagement, what does that look like, right? And that's one of the things I, that, I, that I need to figure out a little bit more and working with our, our faculty is that students who were on our campus three or four years ago who are coming back this fall, what are we doing differently for them, mm-hmm. right? But that's how that's a different type of conversation, right? We're so used to being an open access institution where, oh, yeah, students come back, we're happy, right? But then we got to figure out what supports are we providing. So you have someone who just came back after a year or maybe two years, Right. The technology is different, mm-hmm. right? The The buildings are different, right? You might have new buildings on your campus. They might not know where the classrooms are at because it's all different. So how do you re-engage those students into your campus? But when you start to think about systems, policies, and structures, those are some of the questions you start to ask yourself. It's like, how are we going to do this work? But then also working with a group of people on your campus to be able to fix it. What do I mean by that? We're part of, Compton College is a part of Achieving the Dream. And we created this, um, it's called like these work teams or work groups. So basically a particular issue that you're dealing with, and I mentioned a couple earlier, regards to change of major and also regards to graduation petitions. But you bring people together to say, hey, this is an issue that we need to figure out. And you make sure you have the right representation, but three to five people, if that. But they're coming up with a decision and a recommendation that would go through your governance process once that group figures it out. But really taking about three to five a year and say, we're going to fix this a part of our structure. We're going to fix this a part of our policies and our systems. And doing it that way, I think that could be beneficial. Because we're because people need to see something's being changed or fixed, but they're also able to be a part of that fix. And they see it happen. Because with so much that we're doing, you're not going to be able to change more than three to five things per year, right? And really dig deep into it. Because at some point, you, there's so much that's going on. But really looking at how do you like how do you do this type of work is important. I think that's about all I had for you today. Um, Keith, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to talk with us about this really important issue. As you can see, there's a lot of facets to this conversation and going beyond the shallow, we need to do something better. And actually talking about strategies and things that we could be implementing in our institutions. I guess, do you have any final pieces of advice for any community colleges that are looking to revive their Black student population? 
I, I, I yeah, I got a, I got a lot of thoughts on that. I think one read the level up report and the uh, the the uh, the case making document uh, that was written. I think that's I think that's very important. I think two is to have conversations at your campus regards to what you're currently doing and what you want to do in the future and creating action plans for that work. Three is to uh, evaluate that action plan and what's not working, try some different. But really being strategic as ways to it, uh, as, as grace to the work. But then also uh, knowing that there's some best practices around the country that you can look into to be able to implement. And it might not be, it doesn't have to be the way that college implemented it, but it could be a concept that you can at least begin the conversation on on your campus about a black student success. I think that's critical as we move forward, but the, the action plan is important. Um, and, the, and the final piece is show love to our students, right? Say hello to them, like build that community on your campus where the students feel that they're valued and you care about them and you love them and you want to see them be successful. And that could be the first step. It's just that, like, we love you. Uh, our EOPS department at our campus, I wear this shirt all the time. Actually, I got multiple of them. But it's like, I love EOPS, right? Extended Opportunity Programs and Services. And and our and our staff bought those shirts and the students wear them. And I wear it, right? And it's, it's not the fact that it, uh, it's not just because it's Compton College, but that love part, right? Is to say like, you know what? These programs love you. And you wear these shirts, not just on campus, but you wear it outside of campus because you have that connection, that sense of belonging. So how do we do that on our campuses to ensure that students feel that that love and they're cared for? And then that will help us as we move forward to raise the sense of belonging. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders.